Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Nuggets Numbers. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. This is Nuggets Numbers, part of the Denver Stiffs Podcast Network. Thank you for tuning in on this Wednesday afternoon. I'm joined today by a wonderful guest. You may know him as the host of Full Court Press on the Denver Stiffs Podcast Network. It's Brendan Vogt. Brendan, how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. This is a this is one of my uh, favorite podcasts on the network. So I guess I should and will say that about all of them. But it is an honor to be on. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that's that's a good way to be endearing to all of your all of the people that invite you on is just tell them that this is my favorite podcast that's for right. sure. I say that about my <laughs> own podcast too on my podcast. So I I, I include everyone. I've said that about your podcast. It's pretty good. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, Brendan, as as you guys know, host of the Full Court Press that usually comes out every other Friday on Denver Stiffs and on, on the Denver Stiffs Podcast Network, wherever you guys get your podcasts. So make sure to check that out. Uh, a lot of good stuff to talk about this week. Uh, we're going to get into kind of the normal routine, going to play Guess the Nugget, uh, going to take a break. Then I want to get to know Brendan a little bit more. He's, he's I, I would say, the newest member of the Denver Stiffs Writers Group, and he has talked a little bit about his background on on his podcasts, but I want to I want to broach that topic a little bit more and, and get into some interesting kind of stats versus story talk. And then we're going to talk about the rest of Denver Denver season. And and right now they're 39 and 18 with 25 games to go. They're second best in the West. So a lot to talk about there, obviously. Lots of stats that we can pull up. Should be a lot of fun. So whenever you're ready, Brendan, we'll, we'll get into Guess the Nugget. Hey, let's do it, man. I love Guess the Nugget. All right. So we are going to change the format on this just a little bit. I'm going to give you all three clues, and you're going to get one guess. Uh, it's it's a little bit different, but I think you're you're going to be able to get this one just because I I know you know I know you know your nuggets, man. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> All right. So the first clue: this player was on the All Rookie Second Team in his first NBA season. This player has attempted the third most shots in the restricted area and is averaging a career a career low field goal percentage. And this player is averaging career highs in points, assists, rebounds, and turnovers per game. Is it Jamal Murray? It is Jamal Murray. Hell nice, yeah. Nice work. That's, a, it's, that's I, good. I actually cover this team, so it's kind of cheating. <laughs> you know, so, so do a lot of people that come on, okay. on this show. Right, and, cool. uh, and, and they didn't get it nearly as quickly as you did. So nice work. Uh, Jamal Murray, he's a... a 
break down those stats a little bit more. He he did have his all rookie second team showing, which was which was nice in his first season. Uh, but something that I I wanted to talk about, uh, he's averaging career highs in most every category, and that should be certainly uh, celebrated. He's he's shown a very strong willingness to score. He's he's had games where he's a, been a great passer. He's had like forty eight points, forty eight six points. He's had a fifteen assist game this year. So the numbers are mostly there. The efficiency though hasn't been right. Um, and it really breaks down to, in in my opinion, and and from talking to some of the guys on Denver Stiffs, there, there's been some segments to his game. Uh, and his season this year that I that I think are really interesting to talk about the the first 23 games before Gary Harris went down kind of permanently uh, he wasn't averaging great numbers he he sh- was shooting 31 percent from three uh, a lower percentage from the field uh, after Gary Harris went down and before he just recently got got injured he jumped that up to 41 percent from three he's been more productive he's been passing the ball a little bit more efficiently, averaging less turnovers. So been been clearly injured slash hurt since then, so I don't want to talk about this most recent segment. But uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how has Jamal Murray performed for you this season? Has he met expectations? Yeah, is this, yeah. Uh, I think it's got to be a relative to expectations thing, right? And sure. for me, I would probably put him at, like, I'll, I'll say a 6. Um, I think a lot of... The, the, and you touched on it earlier, a lot of the Murray stuff can be sort of explained and understood through the lens of the extenuating circumstances. So this is a guy who I think traditionally plays at his best when he can do a little more off-ball stuff, right? And I think given the injuries yeah. to Barton um, and, and and Gary, really, who also handles the ball a little bit, we've seen a lot more of primary ball handler, primary decision-maker Jamal Murray. And I think that is where he is the youngest as a basketball player is in those areas where he has the most room for growth. We've actually seen some growth from him in that regard. His two-man game with Jokic has been awesome, especially in the fourth. You can see some of the plays in that in that most recent positive stretch you highlighted. Jamal was really dictating things as a point guard, not just reacting, right, but reading and manipulating. And so right. we've we have seen some growth. Unfortunately, with added responsibility has come an increase in turnovers. I think it's been harder for him to find his own rhythm as a shooter. And I think he's sort of – this is a guy who's at his best when he's when he's not thinking so much as a scorer. And so much of his game this season has been deciding when to score, when to get other guys going, which I do think is actually secondhand for him. And then, of course, you got to factor in just how hard – you know, how much harder it is to play – when your starters aren't out there, maybe it's Craig and the spacing is affected, and when you're hobbled a little bit through injuries. So ultimately, I think this has been a, a relatively disappointing season because a lot of people expected that big, big jump that would launch him into this sort of national conversation, most improved player, etc. We haven't quite seen it, but ultimately, I think there's more room for excitement about what Jamal can be with this starting unit uh, than the other way around. It just hasn't. It's been ugly at times. Yeah, I, I I definitely agree there. There's there's been something kind of under the radar that 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 seems a little bit ugly when when talking about his season, talking about his game. Uh, I think I would give him a seven. Uh, okay. He's shown major flashes for sure. Like we talked about the elite scoring potential, but it just feels like there's something missing. Like 
there's there's not as much substance maybe to what's going on. Uh, the clutch scoring I think is a is a interesting factor. I think he was denoted uh, being Denver's closer for the early part of the season just because he he had a couple of games here or there where he he made some big shots and it was a big reason the Nuggets won down the stretch. But in reality, the clutch scoring has been a really big issue. Uh, he's fifteen of forty nine on field goals and clutch situations, which is basically 30%. Right. Uh, 18 assists to 10 turnovers. So he's passing the ball reasonably well, but when you're passing it to Nikola Jokic, which is what he's mostly doing, I mean, that's it's not a not a necessarily difficult task there. I think um, Jamal's value in crunch time this season, too, like, like you just pointed out, it's not necessarily that he's, like, scoring or, or hitting these game-winning shots. It's just that as the guy who's been primarily responsible for putting Jokic in advantageous positions. He's done a much better job of that in the fourth, whereas at times, I don't know, it sort of looked like he's been trying to figure that sort of two-man thing out on the fly. Whereas now, I really, really trust him to run a pick and roll with Jokic with the game on the line. I think that between the two of them, they'll figure it out. And that's a really, really positive and encouraging sign of progress. I agree. And one of the reasons that I think the it's so threatening for the opposing team and such a great thing down the stretch is just because he has shown a willingness to shoot. It's not just because he, like, you have to guard him in those situations. You can't just let him go, even if he is shooting 30%. Like, Donovan Mitchell is also shooting 30% in clutch situations, but you don't see teams leaving him in any of that in any of that time just because he could hit that game winner at any moment. Right. So, it's a good thing that that the Nuggets have a go-to play down the stretch, and it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds over the course of the next 25. Uh, do you think that – so that first segment of Jamal Murray that I talked about versus that second segment, do you think the Nuggets will be getting the first or the second version of Jamal Murray to close this year? I think, Ryan, it'll depend a lot on the health of the other guys. I think if we have Nuggets at full strength – I think we're going to see good Jamal again, uh, great Jamal again. Um, but given how hurt he appeared, hurt is an interesting term, banged up, right? Because yeah. he is he is the guy that they've been assigning these 40-minute games to, right? Like all season long. And oh, we, yeah. knew, we knew about that ankle all the way in summer camp. So there's a difference between hurting, banged up, and injured. And I think Jamal is the former and not the latter. But nonetheless, um, I think he's going to need this team to be at full strength for him to be the optimal version of himself. Otherwise, it's just going to be, oh, wow, we're shorthanded again tonight. It can't just be Jokic. Jamal, can you just chuck some stuff up? Right. And so I, I do think it's going to be contingent upon the health of this team, which is another interesting question because I don't even know. I mean, Adam Mares has joked all season long that we'll never see the starting lineup again. That's looking less and less like a joke these days. Well, I, I, I don't know necessarily what this team is going to look like come Friday. Uh, it, we could very well see the initial starting lineup get back into gear on Friday, uh, depending on, on how all of the wood. How, all yeah, of the- yeah. On depending on how ready Gary Harris is, I think that in in all likelihood Gary Harris could have played some of these last few games. Probably, I don't think that they wanted him to, and I think that they kind of just decided, hey, we're we're winning enough games at this point that we don't need you to overextend your body. I think that they're going to get back and and be in a great healthy place. So that that really bodes well for Jamal Murray, who who then doesn't necessarily have to. 
uh, stress as much. He, he doesn't have to play 40 minutes when you talk about having a backup in Monty Morris and, and Malik Beasley and Isaiah Thomas, who all deserve, uh, or maybe not Isaiah Thomas at this point, but all deserve reasonable amounts of time. Uh, that's a, a really big deal in keeping those minutes low for a playoff run. Let me ask you this. Do you think that he that Jamal Murray is Denver's second best player at the end of the season and in the playoffs? That's a great question. Again, I think it's going to depend on how healthy Paul Millsap and Gary Harris are. Because I think I think people have forgotten Malik Beasley has played so well and we've grown accustomed to know Gary this season that understandably and and these are wise and prudent thoughts, but you know, you've heard some fans or some media members wonder about maybe trading Gary while you can, right? And and feeling more comfortable with a guy um, like Malik to fill in that, that position. And obviously, you'd only trade Gary for a clear upgrade somewhere else. I think people have forgotten how good Gary Harris is. I think when he's healthy, he's the third best defensive player on this team besides behind uh, Millsap and, and Craig. You could argue he's second, really. I think Gary's right. a clutch defender. I, he, so many times when Denver has needed a stop, he's come up with a big steal without fouling. I think he's a much better, like, just, he's he's really consistent. Um, we know his shot hasn't been there from the outside like we're used to, but, like, with all the things he's added to his game, his ability to get to the rim, his ability to run the pick and roll as a ball handler, <clears throat> his value on this team has become severely underrated. I think a really healthy Millsap or a healthy Gary might still currently be ahead of Jamal because of the defense. Jamal has been an abysmal defender this season, but I think that Jamal yeah. Murray is the second most important player on this team by the end of the season. And that, okay, if, if Denver's going to be what we think they are, what they can be, a lot of that will be contingent on, on Jamal, in fact, hitting his potential and developing into a Dame Lillard light type of player. Because if, you know, if he does sort of get stuck in some of these things and, and, and he remains a sort of inconsistent up and down player, Denver's ceiling is a little, little lower than we'd like to think. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Nuggets numbers. I'm with Brendan Vogue. Having a good time talking about Jamal Murray on the last segment. We're going to get into some of the stuff that that Brendan, I'm sure, is surely familiar with. His experience as a media member at Pepsi Center and and the full court press uh, podcast that he has done so far. So, uh, Brendan, you've been credentialed at the Pepsi Center for the last year or so. Is that correct? Yeah, I think uh, January of last season was my first uh, credentialed month. Have you enjoyed the media experience thus far? Are you kidding, man? It's it's the dream. I don't do this for the money, obviously, because um, I don't get any. But Fair it's enough. uh, it's no. This is what I set out to do. This is why I live in Denver. This is this is the impetus behind every decision I've made in the last two years of my life. It was about getting to this point. It is so much fun, and one of the things I love the most about the way we do it here at Stiffs is it's about fun. And and you know, Ryan, when you come to the arena, which is um, unfortunately, few and far in between because infrequent. of your situ- infrequent, <laughs> yeah, because of your situation. Um, you know how much fun we have, and and like sitting around in in the press lounge around those tables and shooting this shit with other basketball nerds is as much a reason as why I strive for this as anything else. And I, I've loved every step of it, and 
The other thing, Ryan, is it's something that I that doesn't come naturally to me, that I don't have a background in, and that I'm learning and challenging myself in every day. And as corny as that sounds, I mean that that that's my purpose, right? I get up in the I get up in the morning and I think, how do I get better today? And to have something like that uh, means a lot to me because I wasn't sure if I ever would. So it's it's been awesome, man. It it doesn't sound corny at all. Blogging and and the the combination between blogging and reporting as a media member is has totally taken a new shape. And we can right. we can definitely take uh, we can thank Jeff Morton for that and and the former Denver Stiffs guys who who really set the path for sure. That's right, Nate um, Timmons, Andrew Feinstein, absolutely. Feinstein. I don't I don't know them well. So. <laughs> Feinstein, uh, those guys those guys did a great thing in setting this path for us, and it's one of the reasons that I get to start a podcast called Nuggets Numbers because right. you, you you have a niche for that now, and and right. full court press is a great way to get to know the media and and just different aspects that the media cover and they're not just this single entity that that's out to get the general public or or the players so uh was there anything about moving out from california to colorado anything about just taking on this process that has really surprised you something that you might have had an impression before that maybe has turned out different now wow that's an interesting question very open-ended it's (laughs) So when I got, like, I didn't go to journalism school, right? So when I first showed up and I was credentialed and I was there, it it suddenly dawned on me, like, hey, there's no rule book. There's no playbook. There's no teacher. In fact, in this moment, you don't even have a mentor. So, like, this might sound ridiculous, but in the most simple and and literal terms, what do I do? How does this work? You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, what kind of questions play, don't play? What can I, what can I not ask? And, like, I've had to learn all of that in real time. And it's harder. It's harder than – not that I thought it would be easy. But this is more than do you watch sports? Do you have a general understanding of the narratives and play um, across any sport? It's how much – you know, learning basketball is a much deeper rabbit hole than I ever anticipated. But also the actual media game itself. I've done a lot of – I asked Michael Malone a question about Richard Jefferson once before he could comment on the signing. And it was an embarrassing moment for me. But you look – rookie mistakes, man. And Malone's great about those things. He he tends to make a quick joke and laugh it off instead of embarrassing you. But like I don't know, man. Just just what works and what doesn't work has been – and the fact that – that that's because you're dealing with real human beings who each have their own sort of reactions to different sort of um, questions or triggers or whatever. So you, you have to sort of like parsing that out has been very difficult. And I find it's it's a lot harder to just walk in there and be yourself than you'd think. For sure. And that that has to be something that most of the general public and and people don't really understand is that these are people that we're interviewing. These aren't yes. necessarily just people that we're trying to put on a pedestal and, and try to try to get them or whatnot. Like the the media has a, a very tenuous relationship in trying to balance what what the people need to hear and treating players and coaches and front office people yeah. with the utmost respect possible because they frankly deserve it because they are people too. It's um, it's hard because you can't really win, man. I I've learned that it's it's so rare that you ask a question that doesn't do one of upsetting the player, upsetting PR or upset the fans, right? Because all three of the like depending on who the player is, the team is and who the fans are, 
all three of these parties want different things from you and you can't make everyone happy. Right. And so some fans want to know why we don't hold the team's feet to the fire more or whatever. I'll tell you right now that there we could be harder in certain areas. It's also not our job to correct Michael Malone. We sure. ask the questions. If that's his answer, we report that. Right. Um, a lot of people are tired of us asking boring questions to the players. But, you know, we've learned that there's a whole host of questions that they don't want to answer and they won't answer. And so trying to figure out which question gets what the fans wants without upsetting a player and while you the beat guy walk away looking squeaky clean like that's that's an unwinnable situation and so you have to just grow comfortable with doing what you think is best keeping your your ear to the ground in terms of of what the people want and all of that but there's no right answer here and and you're always going to upset someone who do you think is the best interview on the team coaches front office players etc besides will barton yeah, the three, the two names that stick out to me besides Will Barton, Michael Malone, I think, has become among the three most quotable coaches in the league this season. Yeah. Um, you know, we're making T-shirts and all of that, just spitting <laughs> fire. Um, and he's fun. He's fun. And there's been a self-awareness in Malone this year, which is great. He he quipped about uh, seeing a therapist recently because he knows he's a perfectionist. And, like, I don't know if he what is or he isn't. Yeah, but, like, he absolutely should be. So that joke really got me. Um <laughs> And Monte Morris, who we all talk about how he looks like a veteran and not in a, a de facto rookie on the court. Man, in the locker room, he's something else. Um, he's a guy who, whether it's win or loss, he'll sit there, he'll answer your questions. He doesn't seem to – I was talking earlier about certain sets of questions, working with guys or whatever. Monte will work with he, – he'll take a deep breath and he'll answer whatever you're asking. And he'll try to find a way to give you what you're looking for. And I think my favorite thing about him is he's just a basketball junkie. So you can ask him, hey, in the third quarter, you ran this action with this player, yada, yada. Can you just break that down for me? And he'll give you an actual basketball answer. So he's smart. He's mature. And I think he understands our role, the media's role in this ecosystem. And he just he's he has blown me away with the way he carries himself as a veteran. He reminds me completely of Chris Paul huh. uh, just as a a player who I think could definitely run the players association someday as as a oh yeah a, oh, yeah. a vocal face of the of the players somebody who would have their interests in the best heart but also be willing to communicate and and kind of step out on a limb and be a public figure I could definitely see him as somebody who's really popular in the league right now uh, see him as somebody who is eventually running the Players Association someday. That's a really good take, for sure. And and like you said, he is actually one of the most well-known and well-liked guys in the league already, which is mind-blowing. So, yeah, yeah he's definitely that kind of guy, man. No doubt about it. All right, so you're you're not really a big numbers guy from from conversations that we've had from just kind of getting to know you and yeah which is not which an is, anti-numbers guy just want no, to be clear. for sure and, and not my shtick and honestly it's mostly by design just because of the you, you fill a very important role for stiffs of making sure that they we get the best quotes and and kind of the best reaction as it and you being kind of a media liaison i would say right uh so when when you're telling the story though uh do you consider the numbers aspect because this is Nuggets numbers? Uh, do you consider them as more of a reasonable part of the story, or more of kind of ancillary information to figure out what you already know? 
Yeah, that depends on what the story is, right? I've written many pieces where the numbers were important and and that like research it's really easy to just fire off a take, but in 2019 anyone can double check, you know, how accurate yeah. you are yeah. um, one way or another and they will. So, I mean, I definitely use numbers and and research diligently. I just I like to, you know, lately I've been trying to write what I would consider more like locker room stories, right? Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the story of of the night regarding the team, so not quite a recap and, and not quite an analysis piece either. So sometimes they're relevant for sure, um, it's like especially for providing context, right? I can sit here and say Monte Morris has been a revelation, and every Nuggets fan knows why, but sometimes it's worth, like, just sort of feel it, fleshing that out, right, and explaining for the, sure. uh, the, the massive leap he's made from last season this year and all that. So I'm certainly not against numbers or, like, allergic to them by any means. I just – I think you, you framed it really well. I think we fill different roles at Stiffs, each of us, and, like, it's something that I would just defer to you more often than not. Yeah, like, I, I would consider myself more of an, an analytically driven mind, which doesn't For necessarily sure. always work in every respect, like maybe fleshing out a story or or connecting with a player or coach on an emotional level and what they're trying to get to in, in kind of the quotes that they're having. And uh, But when I'm when I try and balance that, it's really about telling the story. And when I would ask does the stat tell the story or does the stat sell the story short? I think that there's definitely an aspect of that, especially when you get into the verbiage that players use, the quotes that they want to provide. Uh, a lot of them, Monte Morris aside, will probably not be able to rattle off their box score numbers and whether that whether that really made the massive difference for the team and whether you think that Jamal Murray going 8 for 20 versus 5 for 12 makes any sort of difference. Uh, sometimes it does, but sometimes it really does sell short what the Nuggets are seeing, what what's actually happening there. I think that there's definitely a time and place for it, but I guess that you would fall into that second category, that, that maybe the stat would sell the story short, that you're definitely wanting to dig into it a little bit more and, and see more emotionally, more uh, kind of from a, a, a personal perspective, how that really affects the story. And I think, Ryan, it's it's not, I mean, I almost never do this, but we'll make a comparison as if we were players or whatever. Knowing your strengths or your weaknesses and knowing your role is really important. And I'm certainly like, like capable of digging through numbers and drawing conclusions and, and, and all of that, but I'm not as an analytically minded as you are and as driven as you are and more to the point as I, I mean I think you're particularly great at it and we needed it at Stiffs but there are a lot of people who, who want to be you right or the next Zach Lowe or the next uh, I guess KOC even now these days right so sure and and that's just never who I felt like I was or, or, or my best chance at contributing something valuable and different to the ecosystem and so I, I recognized early, like, okay, the what makes me a good writer is, like, I'm almost never teaching someone something new about basketball. But maybe I can put a dynamic or, you know, something about this team into words in a way in which 
you agree with, but you hadn't thought to phrase it that way yet or whatever, right? right. So that's sort of my goal um, is, is to sort of help the fans bridge that gap. But I, I think ultimately it's like knowing your strengths and weaknesses. It's, it's important in any field. This to me is is why Full Court Press is so valuable. Uh, the last episode that you had on with the the makers of the documentary about Jim Tucker, I think is, is right. the perfect embodiment of, of what we're trying to get at here. You're talking about a guy who is famous for a stat uh, for the, the quickest triple-double of all time until Nikola Jokic just recently broke that record, but they had more of a story behind it and, and not necessarily something that people would have understood had they not been able to connect with that story a little bit more. So right. I just thought that that was, that was really cool what you were able to do. And it really gets to heart of the issue that stats kind of, they, they are what they are, uh, but they aren't necessarily what people are going to remember off the top of their heads when you, when you talk about, Hey, What's Michael Jordan famous for? Well, he's, he changed the game. It wasn't that he was finished in the third place in points scored all time. It was that he right. just was an icon. So, But, I think but that, you know, it's also a, a good example of the way they can sort of go hand in hand and play off of each other, right? Because the sort of, like, centering force behind the Jim Tucker thing and, and his, his relationship to basketball and his place in the game is this stat, right? If we're not keeping track of it, if it doesn't mean anything to us... Maybe we don't know of Jim Tucker in the same way. But like like any number, there can be an entire story behind it, right? That we just don't know about. And so and so that's the challenge for us as media members. And one thing I think Field Humphrey and Patrick Newman, the filmmakers of Let Him Know You're There, did with Jim Tucker's story is, okay, here's this really, really cool factoid, right? And it, it exists on the timeline of NBA history. But if we, when we dig down to that micro scale, what else is there? And it turns out, this is about everything but numbers, but we only got there because that number was kept. And I just, there was something neat about that. And I, I just love the way they went about sort of uncovering the story. Like you said, oh, um, a really, really cool. Like I told them at the beginning of the pod, this isn't so, like, if you just gave me your written pitch for this film, I'd say, okay, that's interesting, but I probably am not, not going to watch that one. But then I got five minutes into them actually telling the story. And all of a sudden it becomes apparent what that story is and why it needs to be told. So uh, I thought those guys did an awesome job. No, I agreed. And, and for anybody listening here, I invite you to go listen to that full court press episode and, and maybe go try and catch, let them know when you're where you're there. I say that title again. I'm yeah, no, it's a mouthful. Let them know you're there. Let them know you're there. I I thought I had it, Uh, which is, um, let them know you're there is, is a, is a line his mother used to feed him. And it was about leaving an, an impact on every life he entered. Don't just be there, right? Make an impact. And, and his, Fortunately, his spin on that was a positive impact, but his whole thing was like, uh, you know, don't just if, if you're in someone's life or, or on the court or whatever, don't just float through, uh, make your mark. And, and you know, what was cool about Jim's interpretation of that is is that has manifested itself in him, him trying to be as kind and helpful as he can to every life he enters. So I just I, I get a kick out of that title because it's, it's a really, really cool sort of line and moment in the film. Oh, it is super cool. Um, All right, well, let's then take a break, and when we come back, we will talk about the rest of Denver's season. All 
right, we are back. Uh, Nuggets numbers with Brendan Vote. Want to get into the rest of Denver season here? Uh, Nuggets are thirty-eight or thirty-nine and eighteen. Excuse me, with twenty-five games left to go. They're currently in second. It's it is incredible. Just just. Do you think like on an aside? If I told you that they were thirty-nine and eighteen with twenty-five to go at the All Star break. Would you have called me crazy or insane? In the One summer, of the two. in the summer, I would have like, I would have gone, "Wow, best case scenario, right? Like maybe, maybe, maybe like if everything fell their way, I could have seen maybe that happening." But then, if you followed it up by explaining the injuries and like the context, that's when I would go, "All right, you're out of your mind, right? You're lying to my face." Because it's <laughs> it's the other teams that are that are where Denver is on their timeline in terms of building around our young core. I mean, think New York, think Atlanta, think Phoenix. And so for them to be where they're at, to have the win profile they do, because that's the other thing about Denver, they haven't lucked into this, right? They've beaten some of the league's best teams. Um, They've been good away from home relatively compared to last season and and all that. So this is a strong win profile. And when when you factor in the age of this roster and the injuries, it's, it's incredible and really nothing short of that, in my opinion. It's bonkers, man. They're... Two games behind Golden State for the first seed, uh, two games ahead of Oklahoma City for third, five games ahead of Portland for fourth, six That's games amazing. ahead of Houston for fifth. So it, it looks like if if they don't completely screw things up, that they're probably going to get home court advantage in yep. the in the first round. It it just remains to be seen whether they'll be seeded in Golden State's bracket as the fourth seed or or in their own side as the second or third seed, which I think is what every Nuggets fan would love to see if possible. Uh, so how many total wins do you think are going to get the Nuggets to the two seed? Ooh, man, that is a great question. I don't know. It's tough because I think OKC is really the team you're competing with. Right. And OKC does have a considerably tougher schedule than they did to start the season. But they also play good teams well. So yeah. it's it's sort of hard to gauge. What what would you what, what number would you throw out there, just like off the top of your head? I uh and that was a that was a good flip of the words, by the way. Uh I would probably go with fifteen and ten. Uh, get them to 54 wins. Uh, yeah, that would 54. be a, yeah. a pretty reasonable amount. And it's something that I don't think that Portland or Houston could then match. Uh, like you, like you mentioned though, Oklahoma City they have a statistically tougher schedule than anybody else in the NBA, according to Tankathon. They right. they are going to play the most remaining games against the toughest possible opponents and. While they are better against tough competition, I, I don't necessarily think that really bodes well for them. Uh, Denver, though, does have the third toughest schedule remaining, so it's not like they're they're out of the works either. No, but there's also sort of the possibility that Denver finally gets whole again now, right? And so that's almost like a trade deadline acquisition for them. And so, I mean, there's that. There's that on the 26th, the Thunder come to Denver and that game is just so, so important, right? At this point. Oh yeah. And then again, on, on the 29th of March, the Nuggets play in OKC, but is, am I right? If the Nuggets win this next one, do they clinch the tiebreaker with Oklahoma city? Yeah. So yeah, man, 54 is probably enough, right? 
Yeah, and especially if they win this next one, just it's it's not necessarily getting to that number. It's just winning the right games, right? And right. if they split right. with everybody else, then you're probably still looking at a two seed. That that just means that they're they're putting themselves in a great position. Uh, do you think that they will actually hold on to the two seed? I I'm I'm there. Yeah, I'm ready. I think we yeah. sort of have been cautiously optimistic about all that um, I, over the course of the season. But now I think we're at the point where, like, I've seen some models where, you know, if Denver wins that next head-to-head game, it's it's kind of like what we were just fleshing out. They don't need to go on some big tear here to lock this thing up. So I, I, when you look at OKC's schedule, also flat out, by the way, like, I understand that playoff basketball is a different thing. I'm, I'm still resistant to this idea that the Thunder are, like, a better team than the Nuggets or a bigger threat out West. Um, I think it's malarkey. I think it's malarkey, man. And and let's just let's stay in the regular season scope of things, so, like because I get that playoff basketball is different. Regular season, the Nuggets have been a better team flat out, head to head against the rest of the league, against the rest of the West, and they've done it with with all this injury bad luck. So, yeah, like I just think Denver's a better team, and I think they get whole, and I think they hold on. And they also employ Russell Westbrook, which has been more of a problem in the playoffs than a benefit. Yeah. So I definitely think that there's something to that, that just because they have they have a great player in Paul George and they have some good ancillary pieces around him, when you have Russell Westbrook going to he's going to take twenty five field goals. He's going to take like he's going to take a ton of shots. He's probably going to make them inefficient during the playoffs just because you you let Russell Westbrook go ten of twenty five if you can. That's fine. It's not gonna hurt anybody. So the Nuggets have the luxury of being able to play a bunch of quality players and have them on the floor at the same time. Who do you think among the Nuggets roster would you consider the X factor down the stretch? Down the stretch of the regular season? Ooh. Yeah. Jamal Murray. I think yeah. if Jamal Murray is good, Jamal Murray again. Um, by the way, this is like a term thing I do, good or bad. It's a little on the note like Murray's never really bad I don't wanna, like I know what he's capable of so let me just say great Murray um I think elevates this team to another level if you're getting that 20 points from Murray in addition to this whatever next man up thing they got going through Jokic um then I don't think teams are beating you and I think that that's sort of what they've been missing, right? There have been a lot of games where they've been right in it. Jokic has been playing like the best player on the floor, but they're just lacking that firepower. And, uh, you know, I, Jamal's the guy. Jamal's the, the flamethrower that he, he's sort of the ace in the hole, the Joker card. So I think it's all about him uh, as far as X Factor goes. I think it's fair, and I think it definitely has the widest range of outcomes, which which in, in its sense is why an X Factor makes sense for him. Right, especially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I went through a variety of players for this because I think you can make an argument for four or five guys. Uh, Isaiah Thomas, uh, I don't think he plays enough to be an X Factor, but he very well is the definition of an X Factor as well because you don't really know what you're going to get with him. Uh, Murray or Barton makes sense, but I think that they, they really are going to be pretty close to what they've provided so far. And I don't know how much they change that. It could be Millsap, whose yeah, defense gonna, has been Millsap's paramount importance. And, and we see the difference between, like, as he's come back from that injury, the difference between how the team looks, like, in that Kings game versus, you know, when, when we got really bad Millsap not too long yeah, ago. Yeah. Um, like, when he's in game shape and he feels active and healthy, 
he's still the best defender on this roster, in my opinion. I know he's older. I know he's been hurt. But having him out there makes a huge difference. So Millsap's a sneaky pick here as well. I ended up going with Gary Harris, though, whose health, I think, is is and his two-way play is what the Nuggets need the most. And the yeah. more they can get it, the better they will be. Uh, he's going to be likely back into the starting lineup very shortly here. Uh, it's, he's obviously sat out the last few games, and for good reason. He definitely needed that rest. But like we talked about earlier, uh, like you mentioned earlier when talking about Murray, I think that Harris is probably the second best player on this roster when everybody's healthy. And he has this chemistry with Jokic that, that really has been kind of matched by Murray, but not really. Like, the, those guys still know how to play together. They know how to defend well together. They know how, like, Harris will get out on the break much better than anybody else on the team, except maybe Malik Beasley. Uh, him playing with Nikola Jokic is kind of a trump card that the Nuggets have that they haven't been able to use for most of this year. Yeah. And I and wonder, I, too, man, yeah. with Gary... Like the like the the microcosm X factor within his game, I think is his spot up shooting, and I think it's the one thing we've really haven't seen from Gary, and and maybe it's because of all those lower body injuries or whatever. But that's to your point, like that chemistry with Jokic. A lot of it is predicated upon the fact where if Jokic hits Gary in the corner a, a year ago, that's an automatic three points, right? Yeah. And 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 this year that hasn't quite been the case, and I just think that 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 opens things up for the entire team, but also. That creates more opportunities for Gary to cut back door and get some of those vintage, you know, two man looks with Jokic. So I'm with you. I, that's a good pick, and uh, that's when Gary comes back. I think what I really would like to see is him just start hitting that 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 catch and shoot at a consistent clip. Going more off of that, I I posed this question on Twitter last night, uh, like ranking the Nuggets guards, ranking their six guards, and and you get completely different answers from everybody uh, based off of who's playing well right now, who thinks that there's going to be some changes in the future, but I think when you come down to it, it's either going to be Murray or Harris who's likely going to be the best guard on this team, and the Nuggets right. need one of those guys to really step up and, and solidify themselves in that position, make sure that they are going to be the ones playing 34, 35 minutes per game in the playoffs, and just just go from there, because the Nuggets right now they have a lot of depth at guard, but they don't necessarily have a great pecking order. Like I, I don't know who the they would finish a game with right now. I think that there's there's an argument that you could finish a game with Monte Morris versus Murray Harris or Barton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was gonna say. Monte might have a word in that second best uh, uh, guard or best guard conversation. It's interesting, man. I think a lot of it too is because. It's almost like this game of whack-a-mole. You get one or not the other, right, in terms of health. So it's really like we're trying to figure out – we're trying to answer questions about a team that like we literally haven't seen. So <laughs> it's a very hard thing to parse out. Um, and, and, and when we have seen them, have they been the best versions of themselves? Probably not. I do think long-term it's Murray that sort of emerges as that like uh, second option to Jokic, right? Like – Okay, we yeah. need a bucket, and this guy can get one. And and I'm the thing about Murray is as inconsistent as he's been. We, you can't rule out the fact that he's gone for forty plus twice, forty eight yeah. once against Boston, and and we've seen him go 
Like, it's not just that he's getting these points. Like, he's gone toe-to-toe, head-to-head with guys like Lillard and Kyrie and won at age 21. And so, like, that, who knows how consistently we see, like, a 22 points per game from Jamal, but that's well within his ceiling. And I think if, if that's the guy he develops into, then then Denver really becomes this, like, oh, man, that's a problem, right? I want nothing oh, to do course. with that matchup. They don't really have a guy who can go toe to toe with those with those top point guards, those top scoring guards. So if Jamal was to be the guy to step up into that, then absolutely you have to play him as as much as possible in those playoff series and and see if he can match those guys. So in a vacuum, I'm I'm gonna finish up with this. You you need a game. You need to win a game to win the two seed. Make sure that you don't stay in the same bracket as Golden State. Uh, which five players are you closing the game with if the game's tied with five minutes to go? Five minutes to go. Everyone's healthy? Everyone's healthy. Michael Porter Jr.'s healthy. You know what, man? I think I would go Monte, Jamal, Gary, Millsap, Jokic. That's exactly what I have. And... That's it's hard to like hard to know because we haven't seen healthy or the best of Barton, but um I think yeah, when you have Monte in there as just a guy who you can trust to get Jokic the ball at the right times in the right places, a guy who I think by playing alongside Murray, you really optimize Murray. You get the most out of him. And yeah, you're a little small at the three, um, but like I think that's just the value of having such a consistent guy in Gary and then you also have three playmakers right and you can stick these playmaking bigs like Jokic and and Paul almost as like pivot points on the elbows you can extend out to that three point line and run dribble handoffs or whatever but the idea is that these three guys can swing the ball across the perimeter and keep going until they find an angle they like and you trust the decision making of Millsap and Jokic as playmakers to be honest you could put Plumlee in this lineup as well I think sure um and I think that's when you because when this team's at its best even in the fourth quarter I think they don't change too much about what they're doing like just trust Jokic ball trust Nuggets basketball and I think that that is is on full display when you have three ball handlers three playmakers and those and those two playmaking bigs so I like that lineup it's it's going to be interesting I think that that more than anything is probably going to turn into the Nuggets death lineup over the course of the next 25 games uh Monty Morris is, has a case for sixth man of the year, and it's a very good case right now, given that a lot of his competition has either gotten injured or or isn't having as great of a season as many people re- recommend, or actually are saying about it. Uh, and we didn't even mention Malik Beasley, who I don't know if you saw the stat that I dropped last week. He, among players that are in their age 22 season or younger uh, in the in NBA history, he has shot the fourth best three point percentage of that group. Yeah, he's been incredible. He's been incredible. I all think two I th- two seasons of Steph Curry are above him, and then one season of Ben Gordon, and that's it. That's I, I, literally the thing it. with Malik, and and this is um, maybe probably I'm wrong again to to be doubting him still. I think he might he may, might be a year away from working his way into that sort of death or closing lineup. Sure. Just because I think on both sides of the ball, Malik is still prone to some like really crucial brain farts, right? Or, or maybe yeah. the moment getting too oh, much yeah. of him. But like all, I, all that said, 
there's multiple times this this season where they don't win a game if Malik's not in there down the stretch. So this is what you would call a good problem to have, Ryan. <laughs> I, I, I cannot agree more. All right, that's going to do it for Nuggets numbers. Brendan Vote, host of Full Court Press. Thank you for coming on. Uh, what's your What's your Twitter handle, man? I totally sure. forgot to pull that. Can I go on like a full just plug spree here for a second? You know, I'm I'm here for it. Cool. You can follow me on Twitter at bvogt422. That's bvote422. And I got a Full Court Press. I'm recording with the great Mike Olson tomorrow night, so it'll drop on Friday. Uh, probably the best writer on our staff and, and maybe the definitely the least exposed writer on our staff. And I'm curious <laughs> to know how much of that is, is you know, by, by design or not. Because Mike's a guy who's got a whole life going on outside of this stuff. But when he sits down to write a column, uh, it's fire every time. So I'd like to get an idea of, of, of what this whole thing means to Mike and why he wastes his, his virtual time with, with kids in a Slack chat. So I'm curious. I'm curious. So it should be a good one. Uh, yeah, check out. It's on the same feed. So subscribe to this Denver Stiss podcast channel on iTunes, Stitcher, however you get your podcast. Good stuff, man. All right. We will be coming back to you guys in a couple weeks. Until then, go Nuggets. Thanks for having me, Ryan. For sure.